HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Brianna Kurtz, host of Eat Your Words. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Greenhorns, this is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, many of which are outside sweating their balls off. So it's happy to me to be in the shade on the porch, looking at the twinkling water, talking to Dan McManus of the Hudson Valley. Are you in the shade, Dan? Hello. I'm in, I'm in my yurt. You're in your yurt? <laughs> it's actually surprisingly hot. Oh, no. <laughs> But, uh, so, but, yes, I'm in the shade. Thank you for being here with us today, and thank you for all that you're doing on such a quick quick time scale, um, yeah, transforming yeah. Well, thank you. the Hudson Farm community. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you want cool. to give an accelerated history of your installation there? For people who drive by, they've just been seeing first the yeah, tiny over little fence and hand small farm, amount, and then more and more. Yeah, yeah. Well, a little brief history of that as we started here. Well, we started Common Hands Farm about four years ago, and we started here on this piece of land about three years ago um, and when we when we met our current landowner and began our uh, began developing a small scale permaculture based biodynamic farm. Um, on about 10 acres. And uh, over the past three years, we've grown to sort of experiment with new models of new CSA models, new distribution models, um, especially focusing on the ultra-local models of distribution and uh, community farming models. And so we've grown out to about 100... 150 members who support our farm, and we also are at many of Columbia County's markets in particular. And we're sort of really working, working together with a lot of a lot of those markets, and also even working to create a new market in Hudson 
the upstream market. Um, and sort of the goal behind our entire farm is to really sort of uh, help pave the road uh, for not just our farm, but many farms to really uh, serve our most local communities. Uh, even though there's a ton of local good organic produce right here in Columbia County, it's um, it's not all all being eaten here, and a lot of the stuff being eaten here is not from here. And so that comes down to really innovating. I feel like so that's a brief history of what we're what we're trying to do here at Common Hands Farm. So. Tell me, how did you how did you negotiate your way onto the land where you're farming now, and what have you learned from that experience that you would share with others? Having gone through a pretty yeah. big accelerating startup, you came yeah. with a lot of skills, with a big major team, super forceful yeah. and strong and good and powerful and positive. Um, what can you share about land access, particularly in mm. the rapidly uh gentrifying context mm. of the Hudson Valley mm-hmm. um, about mm-hmm. your land tenure situation. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting that, um, the way you put it, because in a way it really, for a for small, small-time young farmer starting out, it really does feel like you're really trying to get yourself onto some land somewhere and really sort of um, break into something somewhere and, and it sometimes can feel with the gentrification and with the rising of land prices and land tax because of it and and all of the other um, things that happen when land is speculated on, um, one can often feel quite powerless in using the land to produce. Um, And I think for every farmer, it's a totally different story of how how they really link up with somebody or really find a way to access land um, where it is really seen, understood, and and a good relationship exists. Our situation sort of came first and foremost with developing a friendship with our landowner. Um, And really sort of we had been through a lot of situations where we were just almost there with the vision with that we shared with the landowner, but just not fully there yet. And we really, we really felt we had to find the right type of vision that we could share with somebody, which was really had a lot to do with bringing together a very creative way of thinking around not only just distributing crops, but also uh, how the crops are grown together. Um, and so that's a, that's also a big part of what we're doing as well, and that's something that was uh, that was a big part of um, of the philosophy of our landowner was to really see innovative type of permaculture systems, and to you know the farm itself we've built very artistically, and that was really something that we kind of met. So we had a lot of common ground um, in in our first meeting, and then what we really did was we developed a model that is based around three different types of money that the farm needs to take on. So as um, as an investor, there's the sort of operating costs, the stuff that the farm needs to be able to 
break even on in, in the first in the first year. And then beyond that, there's a second category of money, which is the farm's capital and the tools which the farm can earn within a period of a couple of years. And beyond that, there's also the infrastructure that remains permanently on the land that is sort of, it is at this point owned in the landowner, owned by the landowner, but it's sort of unofficially uh, a sort of trust that, that would be farmed in the future by common hands or ideally always just farmed. <laughs> and that was sort of our, our point with, you know, with developing this. It's just we wanted there to be a strong focal point for local food right here, right as close to Hudson as we could be, as close on the main road as we could be. Um, and that's, um, yeah. yeah. So that's a bit of the story of how we sort of found our way onto this piece of land and how we... Um, how we sort of, yeah, how we develop that relationship with the access trail. And, and through that, too, through really people seeing that right up front, we've, you know, we've realized there is just so much um, enthusiasm in the local community of people wanting their land to be used, and we've been sort of um, helping farmer friends to connect with that, or, um, and we've also expanded onto some land across the road, on by another friend. And uh, and so, yeah, we really sort of, we found that there's a really healthy relationship between people seeing how hard we work and how beautiful it looks at the end of the day and how much can be done with such a small amount of acreage. And, um, and so that's really, um, yeah, that's a good relationship between us and the, land, the landowners who see that work affecting their world. And maybe talk about some of the different eaters that you're cultivating and um, the way in which you see this local food movement evolving to mm. find a greater percentage of eaters close by the farm instead mm. of um, what is the tendency, which is to schlep the food all the way into the city for the biggest market. How do we That's build, right. in your opinion, what are the methodologies and approaches perspectives, attitudes, and what kind of hustle do you need to dance in order to get your market closer to home? Question mark. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, that question has a, a multifaceted approach. Um, so, yeah, the, the, biggest, the biggest factor in that is that there are a lot of eaters who could be reached, who are not having their food, or who are not sourcing their food as sustainably as they could, Ideal, in most cases not as cheaply or affordably as they could, um, and in most cases not as conveniently as they could. Um, so we'll take Hudson, for example, which is a very progressive food community and has one of my favorite farmer's markets. To, to go to, which is the Saturday farmer's market there. But the rest of the week, you are left with either either very, um, very nice specialty kind of upper-end gourmet food or 
very, the very, very lower end of that spectrum, which is the very cheap, um, generic food. And, um, and of course, there are many other eating out food purveyors who have actually grown to develop a great relationship with our farm over the last couple of years. So that is a way which we're really working in the community. But in the direct-to-consumer uh, avenue, we really saw a need, especially through the feedback of all of our customers, for a midweek market in Hudson. And that was, um, that was something that throughout the last nine months or so, myself and a couple of other farmers who have really also been looking to maximize their contact with the most local community possible, which really is Hudson and its surrounding hamlets right now in terms of this direct local area. And a huge amount of them are not buying local. Um, And so the theory behind that is that we need to kind of make that local shopping a more consistent experience, something that can be found on a working day as you're leaving Hudson when you might regularly do your shopping, as well as on a weekend when you would sort of go out with the family and have that farmer's market experience. And so we're sort of sort of trying to trying to really bring bring a bit of both actually on this which to this Wednesday market. A little bit of bringing out the the arts crowd a little bit, bringing out some good music, having dinner, um, you know, having a barter space maybe for the community to meet, having a, um, you know, kind of allowing allowing a bit of flexibility in terms of organizations using it for a meeting place or um, so really to have it be a true a true marketplace for ideas, arts, products, but also just really affordable, locally produced um, products. And so that's what we're really trying to trying to work towards. And another way that we're trying to work towards that is with our food cart, which is um, on Friday nights in Philmont at the Philmont Co-op. Um, they, we are doing the Common Hands Kitchen at the Curbside Cafe, which is, uh, for people who don't know, is a small green food cart that sells amazing breakfast sandwiches at the Philmont Co-op every morning of the week and great coffee and great lunch. Um, And we're taking it on on Friday evenings to cook up a storm with uh, dumplings produced all with vegetables from our farm and meat from our friends' farms all within a few miles of the co-op there. And we are serving up an order of dumplings for a whopping 450, and uh, so the idea is that we really, even though we are not getting the, the surge of customers yet, knowing that that really affordable, really good food is there, and it's fast food, <laughs> um, we're hoping that that really catches on, and the quantity of people realizing that that affordable, healthy fast food is right there um, can can sort of consistently support it enough to keep it really cheap. And so that's what we're trying out. We're trying to really um, keep everything as cheap as we can, but really encourage the volume of people to really feel like they're participants in keeping that cheap by going there and shopping it regularly and promoting it and 
being like, hey, we don't have to complain that there's no affordable food <laughs> that is locally produced, you know, when you can get a good, good size order of dumplings for four fifty. Um, and so, yeah, we're trying to really um, deal with some of the main qualms that people have with local food that is expensive and inaccessible and same with our CSA model is, you know, everybody chooses their own vegetables from our farm stand every week. Um, they can choose five different towns to pick it up in and four different nights to pick it up. Um, so the idea is that we just really want to make it available to people, have it there as much as possible for people, and have people really participate in it as much as possible to keep it that affordable and that flexible. So it goes both ways. and. So far, we've had a lot of support, and we're definitely looking for a lot more to keep it going. Um, and we're really excited about this upstream market to really kind of bring another vein of support into that local food movement that we're working together with. Well, it's the conversation I keep having over and over about how do we build a new economy where the authentic cost of food, the real cost of food, the labor, the diesel, the time, the money, the effort, the land, the actual work it takes to produce food in an ethical way that doesn't create a whole bunch of toxicity and externalities and polluted waterways and degraded mm. soil, that that actually yeah. costs money and that we actually right. have to charge money, but that everybody right. is not earning enough money. So that's the kind of mm. continuous issue. But right. Building the infrastructure for resilient regional food production that has incredible outcomes in terms of health, in terms of human connection, in terms of community building, in terms of mm. reducing carbon impact, um, takes a lot of effort and sometimes mm. a little bit of foresight mm. slash mm -hmm. subsidy, whether that be subsidy in terms of working really hard for no money or subsidy yeah. in terms of getting some grants. Right. or um, right. subsidy in terms of a gift economy, um, yeah. elders yeah. or those with real estate to share, yeah. helping yeah. a good thing happen. Um, yeah. Have you been approached because of your work by people who are interested to see local food access expand in the region? Yeah. And have yeah, I mean, there are always people, and there, there are different levels of, of interest in that. Some people are, have these great, huge ideas that they want to approach you with because they see your garden. And some people have this just sort of um, have something um, percolating that they want to see and they're trying to see, but they don't know yet. And I kind of help in any way I can. And then there's, and then there are people who are, who are, you know, there when the next step happens and people have been, um, yeah, you know, people, people are always mentioning that they're really behind us and, at times when we've needed it most, uh, people have have stepped in and really shown that they are behind us, and that's why we're why we're still here through all of our ups and downs that we've we've gone through on this three years as we built the farm, which you know haven't haven't all been easy. Um, but the yeah, I'd say um, yeah, there has been there has been a good deal of um, of interest. The real key is finding what. What is the right thing, you know? And and that's what my biggest interest is, is, you know, there is no one method that works the best in terms of that sort of subsidization 
that you're talking about. I think that they all need to work together, and I think it, it comes down to many types of people and many, many areas of work learning a new way of working together. Um, and that's, been, that's what's been really inspiring about farming is, like, I have a lot of friends, for example, who run landscaping businesses, and they all rallied their dump trucks the other night to move large amounts of horse manure for me. And, you know, we moved, like, 100 tons in an evening with all their dump trucks, you know. And some of them I didn't even know, but they just, they all wanted, they all wanted organic vegetables enough, and they all liked what we are doing enough that they came out and they... So, you know, every kind of subsidization really works. But for us, I think the the community is the biggest subsidization that is going to make organic farming sustainable. It's people coming out and not only shopping at a farmer's market, but buying the goddamn farmer out of his shit, you know. Uh, pardon my language. <laughs> but, um, you know, like really sort of, um, I think the first place we can we can make food more affordable, start, start by making food more affordable, is really making sure that as much as possible gets sold. And that sometimes comes down to there is the price conflict sometimes of am I getting paid enough for what I do? And then on the other hand, there are some people who may be saying, is this really worth the money? And you have to sort of find this, find this place in the middle, which I think is a real... It has to happen as a, as a completely associative process between the the consumers that support the farmer every week and the farmer, where they sort of really understand the need, they really understand the beauty of the work that is going in, and they um, they sort of make sure that that is fully supported. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think the first thing is not having a farmer go home with produce that he didn't sell at a market, regardless of how small the town is. I mean, there is no town that is too small around here to buy everything that is at the farmer's market. So, you know, the biggest thing that we're really working on is finding as many models as possible to bring more people out to all the markets in this county. And, and we've seen a good, a good increase in that. Um, and we're constantly encouraging people to really jump on board with that and go to all the markets around here and meet all the farmers and see all your possible food options and um, and sort of help all of the markets grow as a um, as a as a you know really rich and vital outlet for food that, that can become more and more consistent. Um, yeah. So that's sort of that's the first thing I'm trying to I'm trying to is that is that each market becomes more and more populated and and we're just always looking for ways to make that happen yeah so to really be making sure that it's that your local food isn't an accessory or a garnish or a side dish or an occasional indulgence right. that you're starting to move your business and your consumption the meat and potatoes of it yeah um over to local agriculture, especially the time of year right now when it's full throttle. And yeah. buy a big chest freezer and buy extra and freeze it and put it in a bag and freeze it. That's right. And make it yeah. happen. I think. Yeah. I feel or like the big new root cellar um, that I built. <laughs> well, I don't know. I was in a bookstore the other day, a nice local bookstore. I was helping them curate a young farmer book sh bookshelf of, like, 
agrarian literature and land reform and mm. new economics and blah, blah, blah. And this lady came into the bookstore and she said, wow, I really love this bookstore. You know, I forget because I buy so many books on Amazon how much mm. I love the bookstore. And, mm. you know, proceeded to talk to the bookstore owner for about half an hour about how easy it was for her to use Amazon.com to get the books that she wanted. Mm. And I realized... Um, there's a really important inter- cultural intervention point right there. How do we how do we explain or how do we embody? How do we expect better of ourselves that we're recognizing that we're a part of a value chain in every part of our lives and that we're deeply complicit in the centralizing and consolidating and concentrating and corporatization of our cultural and economic and nutritional economy. Mm. when we just mm. opt for the easy, convenient, slick, robot-powered, magical option. Yeah. It's not fair of us. And so well, I, I don't think, want to get moralistic, but it was this very interesting I moment think, that the four books that were running in small fine. business had to listen to this woman. Yeah. And, of course, we're all guilty all moralism of making aside, You should know how happy it makes me to buy a vegetable from me. <laughs> That that is that is just, that is really what I as a farmer seek to have all of my customers know is how much it means to me, how how little it takes sometimes to actually make it work for us. And some people just think that they're another person buying the vegetable from us, but it really makes our day. <laughs> and you know, I think you know, I think. It goes it goes a bit both way, you know. We need to be completely grateful for all the support that we're also getting too. And there and there are so many people that that are realizing it, and we're constantly encouraging people to realize it more than once a month, you know, and like just sort of grow it every year and sort of helps that that access grow and help it become more affordable and help there be less waste and help it um, help more be able to be there. That's really what it comes down to. When you support a market, and when you really support a market, you actually support the fact that it'll be there the next week. Not the, you won't support that week. You're supporting the next week, and that um, and that really like you know that means so much. And so I'm encouraging any listeners right now to like go to a market this weekend because it is just it is just like it means the world to us. And you know when a CSA member signs up for our CSA. I can buy like ten crops worth of seed right there, and so each person signing up should you know should know how how like what an impact they have. I think people sometimes don't they feel like they're just one of the mass of people that are that are supporting something, and that that's part of like our mass culture that we live in right now. It's it's really easy to feel hopeless, but you know take it from somebody who has to weed every single beat in the field like. Every single one matters, and um, yeah. So I just think that like going and like just can people like really just continuing to like really commit to like. I mean, I eat my entire diet from farmers markets. Granted, I go to like three of them a week because I sell there, but I get some amazing food there that I had no idea existed until I had to go to a market three times a week. And I get you know I get everything from ice cream to wine to. Cheese and yeah, I might pay a dollar or two more 
okay, you're only here or there for something that was made by somebody who tried as hard as I know I work and somebody who's also sitting out there selling it to you because they really want to sell it outside of that corporate system, which is really limiting us. And, um, and so, yeah, I just think people should, should really just keep up the work that they're doing, double the impact, and really reach out to as many people as you can. Um, you know, try to really encourage people of all income brackets that that should be their first priority is their food. You know, it's amazing how easily you can be charged for your data plan on your cell phone, but you can't pay that much to take care of your own longevity. And um, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's every, it's, it comes down to so many things. It comes down to education. It comes down to uh, access. For us, another big thing is really expanding the diet. You know, like we, we grow over 150 different types of heirloom crops in one season. Um, and we just try to, try to show people new things and make it like, you know, sometimes, sometimes people can really feel like there's like literally five vegetables out there and they only like two of them, you know? And, um, and we just, you know, there's so much that can be produced on so little acreage if we really eat well. Um, and, um, so yeah, I just think that there is this, there is a really strong movement of people that are doing, that are doing it and it's, it is growing. Um, but people, people really do need to know, like, for example, um, you know, a, a perfect example is the. Um, is the film on co-op, you know, there is a, um, there's a strong push right now for people to really, to really jump on board and be like, our town really want this food outlet right now. Should we all go there every weekend? Um, or do we not want this? That's okay. You know, like, like that, if that's what people really don't want, then, (laughs) then they, you know, but I think that they're, um, that there are that there are a dedicated group of people that are really kind of growing there. You know, it's really starting from the grassroots, and I really encourage people to to jump on board. But there is a huge amount of potential there because there's a really great group of people that have some really innovative ideas of how to maximize outlets for farmers and producers, and um, and hopefully really kind of help yet another food desert, which is Philmont. Um, to have a, a viable and participatory market for affordable food. So, yeah. So we're running out of time, and um, I want to make sure, sure to give you a chance to make an announcement if you need to. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think sometimes we under uh, we're under ambitious about how profoundly we can restructure our economy and the way we relate to place and each That's other. Right. And obviously the family is an economic unit that's stood the test of history and time. And um, the family farm is a very powerful uh, emblem, I think, of our democracy and of the virtues and values we hold dear as Americans in the same way the small town is. And the family, the family farm, and the the small town economy all have one thing in common, and that is there's this pretty intense level of accountability Everyone mm. knows your business, and you are their business, mm. and they are your business, and you're doing right. business together over the long term. So I think yeah. 
that it's it's easier for you and for me, I think both of us living in a pretty small town environment to see those that accountability and that relationship very clearly um, as the foundation, like the bottom, the very yeah. essence of making the future possible. Um, yeah. But I think that the same lesson holds true um, even in even in denser, more densely populated places. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. let's reflect, reflect, reflect. But um, mm-hmm. any announcements? I've got one. Yeah, announce away. You well, don't have I, have, any? I have just just my only my only announcements that I have uh, for right now are just that the you know just one more plug in for you know really go and check out our food cart in Philmont. The um, we're doing dumplings and uh, vegetarian side dishes and um, and scallion pancake specials sometimes uh, along with. Uh, hearty salads made with all common hands farm produce. Um, yeah, it's just a really great place to like stop and get something really healthy and like. Um, and you can also shop there and get your get your produce on Friday nights. So that's just a plug in for that. Also, the Upstreet Market will be starting on the 30th of July, um, and we are really excited to see everybody in the park there. And that's gonna that's gonna be. Um, with sort of dinner opportunities, farmers, of course, crafters, pottery, uh, jewelry, um, good music, and within a couple of weeks, we're also hoping to have an art space as well for artists to feature their work and uh, and to sort of yeah, just give people community exposure um, as well. So that'll be starting up on the 30th, um, and we hope to see everybody there. And, uh, yeah, we hope to see everybody at our farm stand, which is open every Friday and Sunday. Or, sorry, Friday and Saturday out here um, at, the, at the farm. If, if we are not at the stand, we often leave a, leave a sort of honor system, and we have a few things out there like um, squash and tomatoes and eventually corn and things that people can buy throughout the weekend on a self-serve system. Um, so, yeah, those are my announcements. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really psyched to talk to you, Beverly. What's your announcement? <laughs> Good leading. My announcement is the Summer NOFA conference is coming up. That's in Amherst, Massachusetts. That's NOFA. Right. Yes, Amherst, cool. Massachusetts, on August eleventh. And we, Agrarian Trust, and Greenhorns are sharing a table to promote various publications and films, our Ireland film, all of our nice booklets and books and posters and stuff. I'll be there with Anne-Marie Rubin, who's a wonderful colleague at Agrarian Trust, and on a panel talking about land access and transactional law, helping, counseling, interpreting how can young farmers, beginning farmers, entrepreneurs in general, formalize their land agreements and working agreements so that they can have a stable working environment and um, succeed in doing this important work that needs to be done. So if you're in a position of needing to build up your courage and learn how leases work and where to find free lawyers and work through the various logistics of startup, come to our workshop at NOFA. There are scholarships available 
And, of course, don't say I said so, but you can always sneak into these conferences. All you need is a little plastic name tag. Uh, Talk to you all next week. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Severin. Hope to be there. Take care.